I feel like we can't talk about taming the tongue without discussing swearing. Now, I've actually heard some differing views on this in recent years, with some people making the case that swearing in some settings is acceptable for Christians. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to an average account of exceptional things. My name is Chandler, and I'm your host. Thanks for joining us today. So this week's topic is one that is very practical, very applicable for all of us. You know, we think a lot about our actions, but it's easy to just let the words slip. And the reality is that for a lot of us, myself included, it feels a lot easier to catch ourselves before we take a sinful action than to catch a hurtful word in that split second between when we think it and when we say it. And that's actually pretty unfortunate because in many cases, our words can be just as hurtful or even more hurtful than our actions. Whether it's in our relationships with natural or church family, in our careers, or in our witnesses to others, Our words have incredible power, and that's why today we're going to be discussing the topic of taming the tongue. So we're actually going to kick things off with a passage of scripture right away here. This is going to be James chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people, who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So these verses really set the tone for the rest of our discussion today, and they introduce some very important concepts that we're going to be diving into. The first thing we have to talk about is the way that our words impact others. We can see this in verses 6 through 10 in that passage that we just read from James. Now I know what you may be thinking. Obviously we can all think of things that are expressly hurtful to people. Most, if not all of us, have been in that situation where we get upset and we say something we shouldn't have. And there's actually a lot of scripture about this specific risk associated with our words, many of which can be found in Proverbs, and I have a few here. Proverbs 15, verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 
death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. And Proverbs twenty-one twenty-three. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. The truth is, a hurtful word can really stick with someone, resulting in some serious consequences, not just for ourselves, but sometimes for others as well. If our words don't reflect Christ's love to others, that could result in a huge barrier to someone coming to the faith, both short-term and maybe even long-term. And I do want to make a distinction here, because sometimes words are taken to be hurtful that are not intended to be. Concerning those situations, I think that there has to be some consideration here. First off, we've already discussed the distinction between speaking the truth in love and using the truth as a shield to say something hurtful. We've discussed that in past episodes, and that's definitely something that is incredibly applicable here. And there's also no sense in offending someone if you can avoid it. The better our relationships are with others, the more effectively we will be able to support each other in the case of fellow believers, and the more effectively that we'll be able to witness to that individual in the case of non-believers. But either way, we should take every precaution to use our words in a way that furthers those relationships instead of damaging them. There is, however, an exception that I want to point out. We shouldn't let this be a reason not to share the gospel message and the truth of God's word with others. And the reality of the situation is that many people will take offense to the gospel at first. And that's for a variety of reasons, one of which is because it's it's not comfortable to make the change from our default of seeking to fulfill our own desires to turning away from that and following God. And in those situations, it's often simply our place to sow gospel seeds and know that the gospel is still the ultimate gift that we can give to others, that we can share with others, even when some people view it more as an attack. And similarly, if we see someone going down a bad path, as we have previously discussed, often being there to help them is the most loving thing that we can do, even though in some situations it may be received poorly. Really, the main point here is this. We should both protect relationships while also sharing the gospel boldly. And those things go hand in hand. I don't believe that those two contradict each other. So we've established the incredible importance of taming our tongues. And we see the power that words can have. So how do we keep our words in check? Well, verses 11 and 12 from our passage in James highlight this. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? 
Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. It isn't a matter of simply what's on the surface. It goes deeper than that, to the very nature of each of those examples listed. This is a matter of the heart. And if that seemed perhaps a little vague to you, consider this passage. Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 37. Either make the tree good, and its fruit good, or make the tree bad, and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Here it is, very plainly stated, by Jesus himself. From an abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If we want to truly change the way that we use our words, that has to stem from a changed heart. Just stop and consider that for a moment. It makes so much sense, doesn't it? How often do we talk about the things that we love? I'm not the first person to make this observation by any means, but I do happen to agree with it completely. We naturally talk about the things that we love. It's true. And so, perhaps unsurprisingly, the path towards controlling our tongues is actually not through our own work, but through Christ. If we want our speech to be more Christ-like, we should work to cultivate a heart that loves and seeks after God. Because our words will in turn reflect that Christ-like heart to others. And of course, that doesn't mean that we will never hurt someone with our words again. Because we are imperfect creatures. But I truly believe that there is no other way to really control our tongue than through a change of our hearts. And so at this time, I want to go ahead and discuss one more aspect of our verbal conduct before we start to wrap things up for today's discussion. I feel like we can't talk about taming the tongue without discussing swearing. Now, I've actually heard some differing views on this in recent years, with some people making the case that swearing in some settings is acceptable for Christians. And the argument is essentially that if it isn't hurting your witness to others, then it's fine. We can contrast this to what I would consider to be the traditional stance on swearing, with some strong scriptural references to back it up, such as Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, 
which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Or Colossians, chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self and its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, of course, the response to this is then, well, what does it really mean by obscene talk? That could simply be referring to the crude joking referenced in the verse from Ephesians 5. And now I will go ahead and let you know where I personally stand on this. I do not feel that Christians should swear or use curse words or however you want to address it. And that's because I would say that it actually doesn't matter whether we feel that it's hurting our witness or even what precisely we define as obscene talk. And I have two reasons for this. The first comes from the following verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22. Abstain from every form of evil. Or, if you're reading the King James Version, it reads just a little bit differently with abstain from all appearance of evil. The reality is that regardless of whether you consider swearing to be that obscene talk referenced in the previously read verses or not, people find that sort of language distasteful. And we never know who we might encounter and have a chance to witness to who could be put off by swearing. Also, something I've heard many times is this image of a person dancing on the edge of a cliff. And the basic sentiment is, isn't it a right and just thing that the person who dances on the cliff's edge should fall into it? And I think that it's sort of the same way here. When I hear an argument such as this, a, c- a case such as this, it just feels to me like we're making such an effort to determine exactly where that line is so we can get right up to the line without crossing it. When in fact, we should just turn the other direction. And this sort of leads into my second reason, and it's simply that I can't think of a situation that was or could be expressly made better by swearing. Consider Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Another great verse about speech. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. When we speak, we should be asking ourselves, are these words 
that are building others up. And try as I might, though I can think of some ways in which that particular sort of language could be used to tear someone down, I just can't imagine a single occasion where that swearing is necessary to build others up. And even in those cases where I tried to imagine a way in which to use that language to build others up, I simply found that there were so many other words that were more accurate, that more completely expressed what I was trying to communicate. And so to boil it all down, at the end of the day, though there are reasons why we as Christians should refrain from swearing, I simply find no objective benefits to swearing. There's no reason why we all ought to be swearing or need to be swearing. Really, we have nothing to gain. We only stand to lose by employing that sort of language. And that's my personal stance and my advice on the matter and the scripture that supports it. So as we start to come to a close today, I just want to note that there are so many great verses about this topic. And I cannot recommend highly enough that you give those a read because the passages that we've read today are just the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. My last bit of advice is just to be intentional with the weight of our words very plainly, very clearly set up and set before us in Scripture. We have to be intentional, not just intentional about metering the things that we say, but especially intentional in the way that we work to cultivate a Christ-like heart. So with all that said, I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of An Average Account of Exceptional Things. And until next time, encourage one another, love your enemies, and count your blessings. Thank you.